Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, guys, we're back with another episode of Talking Preps. We had the normal crew with me, Dale Ross, Gary Richmond, Chris Hughes, Sam Griner. Coach, you can be on with us this week. You don't have to uh, sit in wait the back 30. room. I don't have to wait 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we, gotta get- we, have, we have our special guest this week, uh, former Governor Pat McCrory, 74th Governor of uh, North Carolina. You were mayor forever, 95 to 2009 in Charlotte. You also on the Homeland Security Council. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm actually at Lake James uh, outside of Nebo, North Carolina. I'm going to uh, get away from Charlotte for just a bit and enjoy uh, the prettiest lake in North Carolina, right below the uh, Linville Gorge. It's absolutely beautiful up here. Dale, I see you not. You know this? Oh, I've fished the river many times that uh, feeds in. Yeah, the Linville River. Oh, yeah. It's one of the best secrets in North Carolina. So. I'm going to go swimming right after we finish this. So Okay, okay. I need to in shape. Well, we want to get your thoughts on a few things. Um, first, um, if you were still governor, if you were still in Raleigh, what do you think your plan for opening North Carolina would look like? And do you think we're going about it the right way? I would. I think the only criticism I have of uh, not just North Carolina, but all the other states, uh, I think after the first two weeks, everyone was doing it right. But once we got the statistics from Washington State, it was pretty apparent that over 80 percent of the fatalities of this tragic uh, virus were directed toward the elderly uh, and most of the elderly with pre-existing conditions. So I would put 80 percent of the policies directed toward protecting the elderly, especially the nursing homes and the workers who work within those nursing homes and also the hospitals uh, and their workers, because that seems to be where the most fatalities are currently uh, happening uh, in every state. North Carolina is following the exact same pattern. And uh, I would probably put a stronger quarantine on them as opposed to putting a uh, quarantine on the entire uh, industry. Um, I think the only other issue related to this, there are many issues we can spend a long time on. Um, and that is that picking winners and losers on what industries can open or not open uh, needed to be more transparent on how those decisions are being made. And there's still a lack of transparency in that decision making because you're impacting a lot of lives on um, on closing certain businesses and, you know, over 10, under 10 hotel rooms right now can't have over 10 people regardless of the size of the 
of the ballroom, which makes no sense whatsoever. And there are details like that. I think we could have had more transparent communication with the public um, regarding the, that decision-making capability. I, I think the big issue in the long term is uh, who's going to have the the um, authority and power to actually make these decisions. Usually executive authority is, is really meant to be a week to two weeks. And now we're in our third month and all that power in one individual in all 50 states, uh, especially if it's not transparent decision making, is now being ignored. And uh, people are bypassing that authority even during the riots uh, and protests that we're seeing during this past week. And if you overplay your hand on in any executive authority, um, then that could cause long-term damage in, in future emergencies. Well, that kind of plays into a follow-up question I had. You know, who would be on your power committee? Who would be part of your advisory committee if you were handling this? And how would that, uh, particularly with reopening North Carolina schools? Well, first of all, I, I, I don't think you can just have government people. In fact, it's kind of ironic. I could play a little devil's advocate. Every government job was determined essential. And uh, they were making decisions for non-government people in the private sector and nonprofit sector about which were essential jobs. So I think the people that would help make those decisions, first of all, you, you probably would need to include some other members of government, the Council of States in North Carolina, and uh, uh, some members leadership of the legislature. But I would also include members of manufacturing, members of the travel and tourism industry, uh, members of uh, the major sectors, uh, the five or six major sectors of business, both nonprofit and profit, and also have at that table secondary education and K through 12 education. So, you know, I'd probably make it about 12 people representing sectors of business. And one of the sectors of business have, has, has got to be small business often. Uh, Governor McCroy, you should be public, by the way. Those meetings should not be privately held meetings, but I think those are the kind of discussions where the, the people need to hear those discussions on what you shut down or not shut down. Governor McCroy, you sound like you've got a little bit of experience with this. Um, are the rumors true? Are we going to see you run for office coming up? I, I don't know yet. And I'm given a very honest answer about that. Um, you know, I, I served six years on the Charlotte city council. I served, uh, what, 14 years as mayor and then four years as governor. Um, I loved every minute of it, of city council, mayor and governor. And I do feel like there's a calling of public service, but I also, uh, have to look at other factors of family and, um, uh, so I'll be weighing that sometime probably next year, but it's a huge decision. I mean, I've run what three statewide campaigns and it's very wearing physically, emotionally and financially. So, um, but I'll continue to be a sounding board and hopefully now as I've gotten more wisdom and age, I can uh, provide some sort of uh, relevance to some tough decisions that are having to be made in our city or state and our country. And I'd like to continue to be relevant in that way. Now that I'm the one with the experience of both, uh, you know, successes and, and, uh, problems that I had. Uh, one more question for you as a follow-up. 
Um, being a teacher and a coach, what kind of message? You're so well spoken. What kind of message do I need to tell my students and my athletes going forward due to the circumstances with the virus? Well, I think not only just with the virus, but also with the, you know, the it, with this, this current terrible tragedy and, and abuse that occurred in Minnesota. I think what we need to do as teachers, and we're all teachers, and I have my teaching degree from North Carolina, by the way, out of Catawba College. Um, I think we need to teach the new generation, put some benchmark related to other historical events so people can see the events that are going on even tonight or last night in Washington or in Charlotte or Raleigh and put that in perspective into, into other types of events. I, I don't think the next generation is being told, well, how does that compare to 1968? How does this compare to the economy compared to 1929? How does it compare to World War I, World War II, uh, the virus of 1918, which hit Charlotte very hard at Camp Green, where many, many soldiers died of a terrible, terrible um, pneumonia and pandemic uh, in 1918 in Charlotte. So I think it's very important for older people like me now to put some benchmark statistics. And I think that's what's lacking from our government leaders and also from the media in, uh, in the two major issues that we're, or three major issues we're dealing with today. One is the virus, the other is the economy. And now, uh, of course, the race relations and public safety issue, which is just dominating and has transformed our country during this past week. But our country's gone through these things. We can't forget history. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, so I would tell you as a teacher, put it in perspective of other historical events, not just in the United States, but also in other countries. I'm reading a book on Berlin right now, the fall of Berlin, where the Soviets took over Berlin. And uh, the death and uh, the, the, the human monstrosities that occurred during that period of time in World War II. I'm reading this book and I'm going, my gosh, Compare that uh, that 1945 time period to today. There, there's no comparison, mm. and we've got to be careful that the 24-hour news cycle doesn't escalate things in comparison to past history. Uh, Governor, I, I want to thank you for uh, coming on with us. And as we're looking to reopen, one of the questions <laughs> a lot of us are wondering is, what is your uh, thoughts on mask and a reopening uh, strategy? I think mask ought to be a part of it. Um, although I think we also shouldn't, one of the hesitations is I've read the health experts just two months ago were hesitant to recommend masks for several reasons. One was it would give people overconfidence that that's going to protect them. And the second reason is most of us are going to misuse them. And take them off, put her hands on her face. And I'm using a lot. I'm seeing a lot of people misuse gloves. I mean, gloves aren't going to do you any good if you don't. I mean, if you see doctors and nurses, they take off the gloves constantly and reuse, don't reuse them. So I, I, I think it's wise to use masks at the appropriate time. But I also think it's we need more education on the mask. The mask is more to protect someone else for me, not the other way around. And I think there's some misinformation on that. But I think masks ought to be part of the plan, one of many parts of the plan in the future. I agree with you on the masks. Uh, So we're looking to restart our economy. And 
my uh, question is about who do you listen to? Do you look? Do you listen to uh, scientists, uh, people from business, uh, and how would you balance that? One thing I've learned in my uh, time in leadership was you don't listen to any one group at one time. You listen to varying groups together at the same table. So I listened to health experts in one silo. And by the way, you can't just listen to the virus health experts either. At that same table, you need to hear the input of people being impacted by suicide or domestic violence or alcoholism, which is kind of ironic. We kept all the ABC stores open during the shutdown um, while closing, while closing clothing stores, which people see that hypocrisy. But the health experts, you, you need them at the table, but you also need the experts on the economy at the table, because if the economy falls too much, you also cause long term harm to society and to and to the health and safety of us as individuals. So, you know, even today, when I read things, I, I read five newspapers a day. And I read I still read books about the history. Like I'm reading a book on Stalingrad and Berlin right now to continue to educate me about the history so we can make the right decisions about the future. Um, and I, I don't just watch Fox. I, I watch MSNBC. I watch CNN. I watch PBS. Um, I watch many different, uh, I pull up the Huffington Post. I pull up Drudge Report. I pull up, pull up Breitbart. And, uh, because there is no one good news source anymore. Everyone has their own bias. And we as individuals need to filter through that bias. And I, it's, it's kind of sad right now. You know, when many of us grew up together, my age group, we all listened to the same music. You know, I listened to Motown and the Beatles all on the same station. And now we, the media is almost putting us into segregated silos and not just music, but news. And I, I think that's a corrosive part of our society now that we only listen to people we agree with. I actually like being around people who strongly disagree with me so we can have an intellectual discussion on all sides of these complex issues. Good evening, uh, Governor McCory. Thanks for coming on with us tonight. Uh, my question is, as governor, you're also the head of the public schools. Um, how do you think the state of North Carolina should go about reopening schools this fall? Well, uh, with all due respect, let me correct you. The governor is not in charge of the public schools. And in fact, one of the yeah. problems we have that I was hoping to correct my second term is that we really have no one in charge of our public schools based upon our constitutional structure in North Carolina. We have a super wow. Well, we have a superintendent of schools that's elected with very little power that doesn't report to the governor. We have a uh, school board that's then appointed by the governor, but really has those jurisdiction over the superintendent of schools. So that's an immediate turf battle. Then you have your individual, and then you have the uh, governor and legislature that sets the budget for the school system, but the budget is impacted by the policy and vice versa. And then you have your 100 counties in North Carolina with their own school superintendents. And frankly, most of them go, my bosses are the, the school boards and the state school superintendent means nothing to me. So had I won a second term, one of the things I was going to 
recommend is reorganizing and have one or two people, one people or one board accountable for education, the success or failure of education. What's ironic in uh, governor's elections, often governors bring up, I'm going to fight for education, when in fact the governor really has very little authority over education. And by the way, that includes the universities too. I, I was very shocked at that when I the legislature has more control over the universities and the appointment to the board of the board of governors, which runs the universities, has no appointments from the governor. So I'd always be amazed. Uh, governor McCrory has got a terrible board of governors and what they didn't realize. I had nothing to do with the board of governors. Now, I'd often go speak to them and try to use my power of persuasion or personality. But frankly, they're more concerned with the legislature. In that interim, as a follow up to that, yeah, I think we all learned something right there. Um, as a follow up to that, assuming that schools open in the fall, yeah, how should sports be incorporated into the reopening of, of schools? Well, I think they should be incorporated in, and I, th I think even as we're seeing <clears throat> this, uh, these demonstrations and crisis, I'm seeing a lot of young kids out there. Um, and I saw this when I was mayor during our some of our riots and demonstrations and as governor. And when you see 13 and 14 and 15 year old kids out late at night, I, I think this is the part of athletics, which is very important. So I think it would be a mistake not to reopen athletics and incorporate them into the strategic plan on uh, having that part be athletics and music and other things being a part of a student's life. And, uh, and then with the respect to distancing and respect to other things, but I also want to look at the, at the science, uh, the sciences in North Carolina. I don't think anyone under, I don't have the statistics in front of me under 20 or 25 have, have uh, passed away from uh, this virus at this point in time, maybe even 30, but again, I don't want to give any misinformation. Young people seem to uh, have the immune system to uh, fight this virus. Uh, it's really targeting the elderly, which pneumonia also does. My mom, for example, sadly died of pneumonia, but she really died of Alzheimer's. And uh, the death certificate says pneumonia, but it was Alzheimer's that uh, killed her. And as, as my last follow-up, prior to... Um, the past week, America was mesmerized by the last dance. And we, we've heard the stories of you officiating Michael Jordan. What, what, what were your thoughts about the last dance if you watched it? Oh, I watched every episode. I've probably seen it two or three times, in fact. Uh, yeah, I refereed. Uh, I was a basketball referee, a high school basketball referee between 1978 and 89. Um, and also during that time, I did some small college ball, but I used to do the ACC barnstorming games where players would make a little money after they left school. And uh, I refereed Jordan at uh, A.L. Brown High School in Kannapolis, and I called traveling on him. He and I, uh, last couple of times we saw each other, I he was still complaining about the traveling call. And I said, you traveled every time you moved your pivot foot. But uh, I thought it was a good behind the scenes look. The language was kind of, kind of tough. I watched it. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's, that's the way it goes. But, um, you know, Jordan's a part of history now, and it's good that kids see. I kind of wish 
we now talk about, I think the, the one basketball player that's forgotten that probably had the biggest impact on society is Bill Russell. And I'll never forget when Bill Russell, Lou Alcindor, then Lou Alcindor, Muhammad Ali, previous Cassius Clay, and um, what Jim, are Brown. Jim, Jim Brown. Brown. Yeah. To me, there needs to be a special on those uh, five or six individuals that I thought took enormous political and financial risk. Uh, Jim Brown and heck, uh, Lou Alcindor was still a college student at the time. I mean, that was, that's, when you look back, that's the history. I, I grew up in that time. Now I look back, gosh, Jim Brown risked his whole acting career. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and Bill Russell, people forget that Bill Russell coached championships. And I, I don't know why he's not in the conversation more as being one of the, not only the greatest players, but why he played, he coached. Mm -hmm. So I wish the players would more talk about the history. By the way, players like Jerry West, too, and others that is the symbol, the logo of the NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say this, too. The one thing I'm disappointed in the NBA about is while they've got involved in other social issues, I was very disappointed that they remained silent in China. And the reason they did is because they have an economic interest in China. So I, I did not see a, lo uh, a lot of courage of a lot of the NBA players, especially in support of the Hong Kong protesters, as I'm seeing the, for these protesters now, but the Hong Kong protesters, this China situation serious, but there's a lot of money for the NBA and the players to be made in China. And right now they're selecting money over uh, uh, an authoritarian uh, country. Yeah. This man is so well-spoken. Like I can hear you talk all day. Um, must be that Catawba um, degree you have. I actually graduated from Catawba too. So um, I knew there was a brilliance we saw with <laughs> something. Something's brewing there. All yeah, right. Big, my GPA there. <laughs> big question is, all right, we're coming back to sports. Hopefully we get to play games. The big question is, will fans be allowed, you think, back into the stadiums, back into wherever they want to view the games that are being, being played? Because think about it. High school sports really are heavily weighed on by football, taking in a lot of money from the gate and being able to use it throughout the other sports. So, if that doesn't work out, I know we got to stay safe. Do you think the budget could change for high schools and they get a bigger budget if they can't have fans and things like that? Well, again, this is where we go back to the science, which I don't think is being talked enough about. And the science is showing the people that are most harmed by this uh, terrible virus is the elderly. Old people like me, too. 65 and over. I'm 63 now. But and what I would do is I personally think if I were the Panther or Hornets or uh, high school, I'd, I'd probably go, you know, for this point in time, people over a certain age, especially or people that are have fought cancer or have diabetes or have other symptoms of immune systems that are weak, that if they get this virus, there's a good chance they won't live until we get some solutions. I would probably, uh, instead of saying, let's have no fans, <clears throat> I would probably set a fourth rules going no there are certain people sadly it's not fair but it's, it's life that cannot come and that's what i call the pareto principle the 80 20 rule it's an old italian economist who said you know at that time 80 percent of the wealth was controlled by 20 percent of the people well 80 percent of the deaths over 80 percent of the deaths are a small percentage of the 
demographics of our society right now. And again, sadly, primarily in uh, nursing homes where uh, my mom was at one time too. Well, Governor McCroy, uh, this isn't a political show, but I appreciate you coming on and talking some high school sports with us. It's been an incredible uh, show so far. Uh, I've enjoyed hearing uh, everything that you've had to say. Uh, But with all the protests that we've seen in this state in response to the George Floyd situation in Minnesota, uh, what is your opinion in regards to the protests, particularly here in Charlotte and in Raleigh? And having once used the National Guard yourself uh, during the Keith Scott protest that happened back in 2016, uh, what do you think about how the situation is going on now? I know you touched on it earlier, but just maybe a little bit more in depth. Yeah, I talked about it on Meet the Press yesterday. Um, First of all, when I call the National Guard, one thing you have to realize, they just don't come at a moment's notice. The National Guard are part-time men and women from throughout the state who maybe have never been to Charlotte, much less been in a riot in Charlotte and had to deal with confrontation of bottles being thrown or being tucked out or whatever. Uh, good people, but you got to make sure they had the training and they know a city. And so when I called the National Guard, that was an aha moment for me that, you know, people coming from New Bern, North Carolina or Lenore or wherever across the state, it takes 24 to 48 hours to get them. They got to call their bosses and their family and get together with their local regiment, get on roads. And I remember tracking them hoping they'd get here in time on the third night of the protest that we had here in uh, Charlotte. I was watching from the uh, governor's mansion at that point in time. Uh, by the way, most people forget, I gave total authority to the National Guard to Chief Pitt Putney, Kerr Putney. I, I was commander, but I one thing I learned as mayor, you can't have two bosses over the police or the guard, and they needed to work together. So I told Chief Putney, I'm giving you total authority over the entire state guard when they get to Charlotte. I will step out of the way. But but if you then have your local politicians start interfering with your decision making, I will take it back. And that's one of the best decisions I ever made. The only thing that disturbs me about the protest right now is you have anarchists involved in these crowds. We had them in Charlotte in 2016. That's why I called the National Guard. My SBI saw uh, my SBI director, Bob Schumeyer, who used to be deputy chief police. Uh, he knows Charlotte very well, and so did I. He said, you're having some um, people part of uh, some um, anarchist groups. And literally, we only had 300 protesters in Charlotte, but we had about 20 anarchists, and they're the ones who caused all the disturbance and required all these National Guard. It doesn't, in a free society who tries to follow laws and structure, it doesn't take many people to cause chaos. And that's what's happening in D.C., in Minnesota, Charlotte. Greensboro, um, and those are the people we have to be tough with and then show respect to the protesters. But if you let those anarchists, they don't give a damn, excuse my language, about the cause or the other protesters or our way of life or government or capitalism. Their goal is to destroy society, and it, it doesn't take many to do that. And the media, I'm afraid, does not distinguish between the two. Well, Governor, I don't want to jump around too much, but a, a few moments ago we was talking about uh, the Panthers and, and and Sam had mentioned opening up uh, sporting venues to fans. Uh, what do you worry uh, about the potential of COVID-19 cases going up after this past weekend? We saw record-breaking crowds and attendance at Ace Speedway over there in Burlington or near Elon College. What was your thoughts on that? I, th- I think it will go up, but I think it was a matter of time. The main reason – we um, 
had the lockdown and closed businesses so we wouldn't have the immediate rush to our hospitals. It was to flatten the curve. Well, we flattened the curve, and I didn't know it meant that we would always have to have that then. So I think, frankly, and, and this is to be debated. I talked, I have a nephew who's a emergency room doctor. We get debates about this, and I have another doctor friend. There's not agreement on this, but frankly, I think everyone under 65 sooner or later is probably going to get this virus and will have antibodies to deal with it. And uh, the people we got to keep this virus away from are the elderly or those with pre-existing conditions. And those are, again, the diabetes, uh, people that, that are extremely overweight too um, are susceptible to this disease. And then I've got a couple of friends fighting cancer right now. I mean, I call them up every night and I said, I'll kill you if you step out of the house. <laughs> uh, well, Governor McCroy, it's been my pleasure to speak to you. Uh, now, we've kind of hit you with a lot of political questions, and this is a high school sports question. And I wanted to ask uh, about your just being a high school football, basketball, just a sports fan in general. I know you went to Ragsdale High School, and then when you graduated, uh, Coach Richard Kemp had some incredible teams. Uh, the Tigers were really good. Um, and I, I believe it was your senior year, you guys went 13-0-1 and tied with East Bladen for a championship. Yeah, I just wanted to get your recollection of what you thought of high school sports as a youth growing up. And, and even as the governor, how in tune were you to high school sports and football and basketball and, and everything uh, at, on through adulthood? Well, I've never told anyone this. I played uh, peewee football, junior high football, and uh, JV football, and then my JV varsity team, I knew I wouldn't be starting. I was very small. I was five, six, five, four in high school. I didn't grow until college. And my biggest regret in life is not uh, trying out for the football team that year. I, I think I went to the beach instead. I was interested in girls. And uh, it's my biggest regret. One of my biggest regrets is not being on that football team. My brother was uh, starting in on that football team. And uh, Kemp was a great coach. I ended up running for student body president and got into government. I guess that was the beginning of my downfall. And uh, but I, I played high school tennis. I started a tennis team at Ragsdale, and I played college tennis um, for a couple of years. But uh, sports, sports is an outlet, and you know it's great seeing more girls and uh, and women in sports too. I think that's it's so good. Uh, for society that I think the dilemma is going to be is the affordability of sports and uh, universities are going to be in a tough financial shape right now. And you're seeing schools like Appalachian State already dropping sports. And I think if I were uh, the ACC commissioner right now, I would probably uh, to save money, confine sports travel for the minor sports to say North and South Carolina, like the old ACC but to take teams all the way up to Syracuse or to Florida under these financial conditions would be pretty tough. But I'd, I'd make some inner conferences within these large conferences that are primarily really set up for basketball and football. And so it's, you have a lot of inefficiency in the sports. High school sports, I, th I think, are, are extremely crucial. I wish everyone in, in the school could play a sport and uh, – so, but the only other dilemma, we do have to focus on academics. I, I'm a godfather of a young man who's an excellent football player in Mecklenburg County, and he's a rising senior, has a chance for a scholarship. But, you know, every week I'm calling him up, knowing the odds of him succeeding in professional sports. Are you doing your, are you doing your homework? 
the odds, I, th I think the only danger we have as coaches, you have to tell these kids, you know, sports is a hobby. It's a game. But uh, I think so many kids think their life is going to be professional sports or even college sports, and the odds are so rare to do that. So I, I, think, I think, too, this one sport, I'd rather have – when we were in high school, you know, we played football, basketball, baseball. We did seasons. And I think one thing we've lost is where you have to be focused on one sport. Mm. I just hate that at this point in time for kids. The athlete, you know. I agree with you fully right there. And um, I heard that same kid you're talking about was coming to West Charlotte. That's kind of ironic. So that's exciting for that I get to coach him. <laughs> um, especially he's scholarship bound. We need those type of kids. Uh, he's, uh, um, I'll, I'll tell well, him, you. Know, well, I'll tell Antonio, he had a great uh, – he got hurt last year, two years ago. He was one of the leading rushers, and uh, I'm real proud of him. I'm trying to keep him in shape, though, right now. He's, <laughs> another thing I'm trying to get him to do, I called him up here. I went through football with him. We didn't have a park to throw football, so we went in some gravel parking lot two weeks ago off of uh, Sunset Road and mm. where I was very upset about the parks being closed because the parks being closed hurt, hurt the poor people. In Mecklenburg County, it was one of the worst decisions made because we could not drive. I went to go pick up my godson, and we could not drive to Freedom Park or another park to throw football. Mm. So we had to go find a field. Um, so you would not have done that if you were governor. You would not have done that. That was made right there. Yeah. And by um, the way, I was in better shape than he was, as I told him. I read <laughs> And he didn't think I could throw the ball either. He said, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to throw the ball. And I said, go for a long one, big guy. Well, one of the big issues right now in Charlotte, you're a Charlotte guy, we're all Charlotte people, is the Republican National Convention coming up. Should Charlotteans, in your opinion, be concerned that up to 50,000 people are going to come into our city during the pandemic, potentially? Well, I don't think 50,000 are going to come regardless because the airlines and, you know, this is the hypocrisy, though, like we – I couldn't get a haircut until next week, but you could fly on a plane. I mean, some of these things just don't match. You could buy liquor, but you, you know, I can tell you example after example that can't go to a gym. I think closing the gyms, you could, is, is ridiculous right now. It's just, anyway, um, <laughs> I forget the question. The, the, the question was, should Charlotteans be concerned about having the Republican National Convention come and so many people coming from all over the country and all over the world to our city right now? During the well, again, I would I would set in similar procedures that I mentioned for football. I think um, I think certain age groups shouldn't come. I, that, no one's talking about this. It's the age group where the disease kills you. That should be most concerned and that are going on ventilators and respirators. Listen, I've had a, a nephew get the virus at 32 he, it took him 10 days to get over it but he's doing fine in fact he gave uh, he gave um, plasma plasma yesterday i'm very proud of him i've had a cousin get it she's doing good now and i had a work colleague at wbt die from it four weeks yeah. ago 52 years old but he had lupus before and uh and i had a very very close personal friend of mine that i was with just nine weeks ago Died from it two weeks ago in, in Greensboro. He was 89 years old and he was perfectly healthy. And um, so it's a serious, serious disease. But I also am independent. You know, there are risks everywhere in life right now. And we cannot let a disease or a virus shut us down. Because if you shut down forever, you cause other 
problems health-wise, which we're now finding out. And if you have a, a downturn in the economy, we have 40% unemployment rate. 40% unemployment rate. And it's tragic that we've had 100,000 deaths. In North Carolina, what well, we've had two or 300, we have 10 million people in North Carolina. We're, we're not benchmarking that data, that tragic data with other benchmarks. Yeah. And this is where I think the media has failed us tremendously. Mm-hmm. In benchmarking, we're all gonna have issues with health, whether it be cancer or Alzheimer's or diabetes, mm-hmm. pneumonia, whatever. Um, and we've got to compare this to other rates of sickness and death and cost. And there's absolutely no benchmark. It's almost like it's a uh, <clears throat> the virus of the month, um, like we do, you know, athletes of the month, and then we forget about it. Let me, let, final question. I want to put you back in the governor's mansion again. How would you help the state heal from COVID-19 and these race relations problems we're having right now in our state? I think we just need to, like we're doing now, just have direct talk. Uh, don't attack anyone. Don't call anyone names. Um, benchmark against historic past and give some aspirations of where we want to go in the future. And all of us, all of us put peer pressure on anyone who believes in violence. I grew up uh, listening to Martin Luther King, and I was a, in my teenage years when he was tragically shot down. You know, he spoke against nonviolence with, with people who wanted violence. And right now there needs to be peer pressure against the, the small group of people that want to bring chaos to a, to a world that has faults. We are not a, we're an imperfect nation, just like we're imperfect human beings. And with an imperfect nation, you have to recognize your faults and build upon it. But we'll never be perfect. We'll never be perfect. We're, we're always going to have some imperfect police officers. We had them when I was mayor. We had them when I was governor. And we're going to have them for future governors and future presidents. But we, we want to reduce that risk. But we have to understand reality of uh, each of us have these fallacies, physical, mental biases. And we have to work against them. But... I think we're we're kids right now protesting assume we'll be a perfect union. It will never be a perfect union, but we could be the most perfect union mm. around. Like as an individual, you every one of you have imperfect things. You all have faults. I have many faults that I won't tell you about. <laughs> but the goal is to improve upon them. And that, that's where I think you as teachers and athletic directors, you see certain faults and a person be able to move to the right or the left or to dribble or whatever. Wait, you work on the imperfections, but you'll never resolve them. <laughs> totally. One question for him, Langston, if you're okay with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my son, my favorite college that I pulled for is uh, West Point. I pulled for Army. My son, Brahim Murphy's there right now. He, he left a couple of days ago to go back for the football team. They did all the temperatures and making sure they're okay to start of practicing um do you have a favorite college that you pay attention to that you really pull for outside of catawba of course um just curious what who you pull for well i grew i was born in columbus ohio and i thought woody hayes was god the first nine years of my life <laughs> and then i saw god hit a football a clemson football player in a game uh, <laughs> that's it large uh interception <clears throat> 
You know, it's funny. I, I don't have a favorite team anymore. I pick a team that I enjoy watching every year. And now I don't even know the players of the of the teams because they rotate. You know, I couldn't I couldn't. I mean, the Duke Carolina players, there's a new freshman group in every year. So I have no allegiance to a school. I, I pick a team that I enjoy watching. Good pastors, good shooters, certain styles. And then I'll stick with that team for the whole year. And then the next year, I'll have to learn a whole new name. So I know that's kind of a – I do the same thing with football, except I'm a Carolina Panther fan, and uh, and I follow the Hornets. But um, And a Duke fan, it looks like. I like it. It's not right. I like certain Duke teams. I like certain Duke teams. Um, I, I, I really – of course, Curry. I knew Curry when he was a little kid, and his dad was great. Curry, I remember, came to a function of mine as mayor. Uh, Dell brought his two kids with him, and his two kids took all my daggum food. They were just eating all the food. They were like five, six years old. And I remember, Dell, we're paying for this. You know, you're having control of your kids. And uh, Well, Mr. Governor, I appreciate you coming on with us, sir. Enjoy your time at the lake. Oh, I wish I would have given those kids more food now that I know they're successful. I know, right? I know, right? Enjoy the Always be nice to people. You know, you never know what might be. You never know. Enjoy your swimming, and thanks for taking the time with us, and good luck hey, to you. Thanks Thank for you guys caring about our community and, and athletics, but more than anything, the, the kids. Um, they need role models like you. Tell them about the history and the future and, and be role models and good role model. Everyone's a role model. You need to be a good role model. And God bless you for your work, too. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. All right. That was Governor Pat McCrory, former mayor of Charlotte. Um, reactions. Uh, we'll start with Mr. Ross. What stuck out to you? Um, yeah, he's a wonderful speaker. And I, I think he's... Uh, I think I agreed with almost everything he said, except for possibly the um, the age and uh, how the virus is in, impacting people. Because we are seeing uh, younger people are starting to uh, show effects, and there have been uh, younger people dying, even children. But uh, uh, I, I I liked what he said. Uh, I I believe most of uh, most of his ideas are. They're a little bit different, more radical than uh, what we're going through as far as maybe holding back the older people and uh, sending everybody else back to work. Uh, somebody should have asked him, what about those people that bring the virus back? Uh, I think well, that's one of the things I was trying to get him to talk about when I asked him about the, the uh, RNC convention that they're trying to have and bringing 19,000 people to the arena and certainly thousands more outside. Gary, is that something that bothers you to, 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 that many people would come to your town? It didn't seem to bother him very much. Yes, I, I'm, I'm on the conservative side when it comes to this disease. Um, you know, when he, he talked about who you're going to let in a high school game, high school sports, you know, is, is very family oriented and you're not just bringing the parents of the of the kids. You're bringing the grandparents, the uncles, and and aunts, and and the community. And um, you know, to to say, well, you can't come because of your age. Um, it, like Dale said, that's kind of radical. <laughs> uh, 
But Gary, isn't what if um, the option is nobody comes? So you have or or you have to have a huge spacing and only a third of the fans or so can come. So what's the balance there? Well, to me, if if you're not going to have fans for high school sports, there's no need of having sports because but, he, you know, I think Sam asked him about where's the funding going to come from. Uh, are y'all or is the government willing to give extra funding to make up no attendance? And I'm almost 100 percent going to say no, they're not going to be willing to do that because the, the states are going to be running a deficit to begin with uh, because of the lack of tax revenue over the last two months and, and into future months. So to me, if you don't allow fans in, what's the use of playing? Okay, there is a the NFL is talking about the NFL is talking about maybe 20% capacity of stadiums. So 20% of a 4,000 seat high school stadium is about 800. That's 400 fans aside, Chris Hughes. Who gets to decide, Mr. AD Chris Hughes, Mr. State Director Chris Hughes? Who decides that you can get in or you can't get in because somebody needs to get in because we need the revenue? Is that right? Well, you do need the revenue, and I think it's going to kind of go back to how principals choose who get to go to high school graduations when the venues are small. I think the priority has to go to the parents, the family, the immediate family of those players. Uh, and, and then from that point out, I would say the families of the coaches and the, the faculties of the school and the people who were most involved and invested in, in those teams and, and, and those lives and those schools. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you're right. You're going to have fans. Someone's going to be left out. So there's going to be people who are unhappy and the schools may even be the biggest. Well, they will be the biggest loser because they rely so heavily on those monies uh, not to contribute just to football, but to tennis and to basketball and, and even academic programs. And, you know, everyone's going to lose in that situation. Uh, but, you know, I want to fans in the stands to support the kids, but it's just how we do it. You know, I'm, I'm not smart enough to make that decision, but obviously there's got to be some kind of limitation. But mm -hmm. Coach Griner, we do have a sort of experience in doing this because when your football team goes to the playoffs and you're playing at school Y, they give you X number of tickets. So we already have a situation where everybody doesn't get in. Can we apply that type of thing to a regular season game? Yes, I think you can. What you'd have to do is you'd have to create an email probably like on a Monday going in and say, hey, you get to have so many people come to this game and you got to fill it out as a roster kind of format. And you go to each player, he might get four people and say he don't want to use four, but he's going to give his other four to someone else. That's a way you can do it where you only limit to you know 400 people or whatever the case may be. I, I hope that we're all able to get Two, where everybody can just come to the games. But I know that, you know, they'll also tell you, like, this disease is serious. And I believe that. I really do. But I just think if we're vegan, we're okay. We won't have to worry about the virus. <laughs> we're fine. But, um, you know, I, I, I would love to see it's something when you look into the stands and there's people roaring, it changes your life forever. And you can only do that in sports sometimes. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing feeling. You'll never forget those moments, and I hope that we're able to do that somehow, some way. I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. And, you know, I remember those feelings back as a coach and 
back in high school and, and even as a media member, you know, come, going into a huge stadium before a big game, uh, you can tell when the environment's huge. But, you know, it just brought me to this thought, Langston, it, when when you brought up uh, uh, the – the playoff tickets, you know, a school only gets X amount of t- tickets. We had a situation not too long ago when you had the sinkhole at Memorial Stadium and all of a sudden you couldn't have the big Independence Butler games and some of the other big playoff games. And if we remember, it might have been about eight or nine years ago where they were uh, having lotteries and you could only get certain amount of game tickets for those games. Even media guys, some of us were unable to make those games. So there is somewhat of a benchmark, as Governor McGordy said, to look back at. A little precedent there. Um Guys, the private schools are going to start actual real-life football workouts on June the 8th. The basketball, Gary, is going to start June the 9th. The public schools are still talking about going June 15th. Are you guys concerned that 2,000 people at A Speedway the past two weeks, however many thousands of people on the streets in Raleigh and Charlotte and Greensboro and other places, are going to cause an increase in cases of COVID, therefore pushing back the date for the public schools. I'll start with you, Gary. Um, I'm not too concerned because I think the longer this pandemic is going on, the the more accustomed people are getting to the the, the testing. I think that the biggest thing is the hospitalizations, not the number of positive tests. Um, I think once you step in, though, you can't get spooked by one or two positive tests um, on a team. Uh, you got you got to figure out how you're going to adapt to getting positive tests and continue to progress forward. If you're not willing to, to do that, then there's no need to starting up. As a parent, I can tell you that if there was a positive test on the team uh, that my kids were on, my kids wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't send them to practice. Uh, I think we do have to worry about it. And the reason I say we have to worry about it is because from what I've seen, people aren't wearing masks to, uh, out of these uh, events. There, there are some people that have been, but there's a lot of them that aren't. So uh, we have to be a little bit concerned about it. But uh, until we start seeing a spike, I think we have to keep rolling with our rollout plan that we've got and, uh, and move on out. And as we've said in the past, uh, we can start with small groups and we can do our distancing. And I think it's going to be uh, imperative that the coaches might, uh, control that kind of situation. I agree, Dale. And, and, you know, we're all parents. So, you know, we all know that if there's a situation or something happening on our teams, that we're going to be the first person uh, to worry about our child who's participating on that team. Uh, so we're going to be directly monitoring that. Uh, but of course, you know, on a lot of social media channels, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of debate and deliberation amongst coaches in South Carolina and North Carolina, kind of given their perspective of how they're going to handle uh, development practices and practices moving into the into the season. And, and, and I've got to think that from the plans I've heard that these coaches really have taken the safety of their players and, and these children uh, seriously, because I've heard some great plans about how they're going to distance different parts, different groups, different individuals all across the fields, and then di- even more than one practice fields to get it done. So at least I hope, and from what I've heard, that you're going to see a great plan being developed, and hopefully it gets implemented and, and we don't see any spread of the virus. 
Yeah, I agree fully with everybody what they're talking about. It's 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 pretty ironic that they're starting a little early. I wish that we could start early and see what's going on, but I get that our school is not typically ended yet, so they can't start sports. So I get that as well. Now, I think what's going to happen is this. I think that they're going to make sure that we're only conditioning for two weeks. I don't think we'll be able to do football related. I don't think a football will be on the field and other sports won't have equipment. I think you'll only be allowed to do conditioning. Now, if you're doing conditioning, what you can do is you can space out. You can do county fair type stuff and have that six foot rule spacing type deal where no one's touching. And uh, the one thing that's kind of crazy, though, is this. If this lingers on into the summer, is there any team, if we're allowed to play football, is anybody going to be a huddle football team or is everybody going to run no huddle? <laughs> because That's a good question. One thing I am hearing, guys, is that a lot of teams and schools are targeting July 13th as the kind of day to have a first practice. Mm-hmm. I don't know what first practice looks like, but, Coach, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're a coach. Mm-hmm. What could you do if you could have a pra- if you were given permission by CMS to have practice on Monday, July thirteenth? This is practice. Mm-hmm. What could you do right now? That'd be very helpful for us because we can implement the scheme. You know, being a new coach, the the verbiage is different. They're not used to what we're going to be using this verbiage in the past. They didn't. They have a totally different deal. So that's the whole key. Your it's football's football, but how you communicate the football is the key. You got to base everything on rules. You have certain things you have to get accustomed to as a team, and it takes a little bit of time. So if we're able to start in July actually doing football stuff and actually run practice, then I think we can easily be ready before game time come August. I agree. And I'm sorry, you called me there to check out my phone. Uh, I agree. And I think that uh, we will be ready come August. Now, uh, the athletic directors had um, – had some meetings this past week, and they were really concerned, uh, really not the football aspect of it, but, you know, how they're going to handle the water dispensing and making sure that all of the uh, training elements and balls and just making sure that everything's clean. Uh, so I like that they've got a plan uh, for trying to keep everything as well, not sterile, but at least as sanitized as possible. Uh, so, you know, you don't ha- you limit as many opportunities as possible for that uh virus to spread and you know there's no foolproof methods i mean there's somehow or the other i think the virus will spread I, I think it's inevitable but if you limit it to just do everything you possibly can do i think that's all we can do one thing to okay well one thing i think we've overlooked we're, we're talking about the safety of the kids that we hadn't thought about what about the safety of the coaches you know there most coaches especially head coaches are older, yeah, uh, and they're probably more predisposed to have some type of um, underlying condition. Everybody but Sam, of course. Now, Sam's a twenty-five-year-old vegan. Is like in perfect health and perfect weight, and you know, just Adonis over there. But you, you take a, you take a football staff, say ten coaches, yeah, and you look at probably half of them are going to be over 40, 45 years old, out of shape, um, and they're going to be responsible for being around these kids for two hours a day. The kids go home or the kids are asymptomatic. How does this, you know, affect coaching staffs? Um, You know, as well in the building, half the teachers are going to be that old. 
yeah. and have, um, you know, uh, underlying conditions. You know, the administrators are going to mm -hmm. be older. What what a lot of what a, a lot of the people that are pro open school will tell you is that they believe there's not enough evidence to prove that the virus transmits from kids to adults in a very high manner. I'm not saying that's the reason, but I know that's one thing they say. But Sam, I mean, you're you're you know going to be affected by that. Are you concerned that I have to go coach in a couple of weeks and potentially, you know, I, you got two young daughters at home? I mean, yeah. what do you think? I'm a big believer in faith. Um, I think it's very important that I don't walk in fear. I'm, I'm very smart at what I'm going to try to do and be aware. Maybe I'll wear like some type of scarf that I can cover up when I'm around talking to people. But um, I think we have certain plans in place that we're going to stay safe and we're going to see how we go about things. And I think we're going to have a, a temperature gauge where they rub it across their head and we'll have, you know, our trainers, everybody that comes in, they'll have protective gear on just to make sure they don't have a temperature. That's a major concern. If you do have a temperature, you won't be allowed to practice. But the other thing is not necessarily giving water. What we're going to require our student athletes to do is bring their own water jug. Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen is it's their own personal jug what it has their name on it. Now they can refill it up with someone that has protective gear in a cooler spot, but they're not allowed to do it. And I think that'll eliminate um, people going to the th or it wasn't sanitized and now someone touched the water. I think that's going to be kind of critical as well. Yeah. Uh, Dale, Gary made a point earlier about having the courage, I think was the word he used. If somebody were to get sick, then you just don't shelve the whole ball of wax. Chris also made the point somebody's going to get sick. As we get into the playing football again, somebody is going to get sick. It might be a coach. It might be a player. I don't want anybody to, but chances are somebody will. What do you think is the appropriate reaction to that? And then what do you think might happen when it happens? Now, that's good questions. I, I do want to say uh, about in the summer, let's not forget that they'll be outside and uh, sunlight is not a friend to the virus. So hopefully the summer is going to go well. But how, how do you respond to it is uh, the question. Yeah. And uh, I think this uh, – I cannot see how with knowing the situation and knowing that both, um, as Gary mentioned, you have older coaches. Uh, I'm worried because we have a lot of uh, uh, black coaches and we know that there's a lot of the issues that impact that. So there's, we, we have a lot of concern of, of transmission. So if something shows up, I, my expectation is is that uh, it'll be shut down immediately within that particular uh, school uh, or that team, mm -hmm. because it could be different sports. But uh, you know, almost immediately, I, I I think we need to be conscious of contact tracing as well um, in, in these situations. But if if I'm running the school, I think we've got to immediately uh, t tell the coaches if. You know, the first sign that we have of uh, a positive uh, case, we we have to shut it immediately. And unless uh, experts tell us uh, otherwise, I, I just don't think we can risk spreading this thing because these kids go back home and they have parents, they have grandparents. There's just too much that uh, I, I just I, I, I believe our response has to be to immediately uh shut it down. And you know, Dale, it's really hard for me to disagree with that.
I mean, and and of course, I want us to play more than than anyone. I mean, we all want to see our our athletes back on the field and, and playing these games. Uh, but you know, you put the parent hat on, and you know, if it's one of my kids out there, I would want to know that every single precaution was being taken uh, to protect them. And, and you know, you hate to to jump o- over and just think the worst case scenario of one person got sick. But we know one person gets sick, you know, it's probably already been transmitted to one or two persons already. So I, I kind of have to side with you as much as I hate to see you shelve a sport or shelve the team. It, it, from a parent point of view, I, I could see exactly where you're coming from. Well, we're dealing with an R naught of uh, three to five, which means that one person can spread to three and they're actually now finding it maybe five. So, uh, you can expect if one person gets it, at a minimum, three more people are going to get it from that one person. Yeah, I'm hoping we're able to turn the page on the virus hopefully soon um, due to the circumstances with George Floyd. Um, going back on that a little bit, I mean, watching that, I, I feel so sorry for the family that was involved with that. I don't know how else we can speak on that. I'm not involved in like they were in that situation I, I couldn't imagine watching that and uh to the cop that did that that's it's completely wrong he deserves to get justice for what he did and uh i want to encourage everybody in life you got two choices you can be good or you can be evil and uh it's kind of like a soulful 70 that i'll be doing this thursday in life you we play on a board it looks like a checkers board but you have an ability to play chess what do you do in life? Do you play checkers or chess? The difference is checkers, you only have to think a couple of moves ahead. You don't have to think very hard about what happens if I do this and it affects me in the future. Chess, you got to be like a Bobby Fisher. You have to think multiple moves ahead. You got to be like a Brahim Murphy, making a decision, going to West Point and having a 30-year plan instead of a four-year plan. And I think going forward, we need to choose good over evil. We need to love You know, Martin Luther King had it all right at the very beginning, and I think that he was all about love and goodness. All right. Well, guys, I want to give uh, Chris the final word. Chris, at some point, we're going to have to play football. Um, Somebody's going to have to line up and hit somebody. You're as big of an expert in in high school football in North Carolina as I've ever run across. You're tuned into the coaches. You're tuned into the ADs. Right now on June 1, do you think by August the 17th or whatever that date is, we'll have real live football in North Carolina? I think we will. Uh, again, how that looks is yet to be determined, but I think we might at least. I'm, I'm, I'm about 90% on it, but kind of like the things we mentioned tonight, the fans might be scaled back. It may not be what we're used to seeing, uh, but in some sort of capacity, I do think you'll have players out there in different colored jerseys going at it and playing and, you know, keep score and then it'll be real uh and, and you know we'll, we'll report on it the best we can uh, but i do think it'll look a little bit limited compared to what we're used to yeah well i think all of us are hoping that there's a football season it's one of the best high schools is the best high school sport i believe and it's uh it's something that starts the school year off right it bonds the community so i know we all want to see that we definitely want to see coach grinder back out on the field after being away this past season um so that should be fun. But, guys, look, really appreciate it. We're going to do it again next week. We have more special guests. We might have two special guests next mm-hmm. week. Uh, so we're going to definitely catch you guys next week. Hope you enjoy the show. And, uh, Coach Griner, what is your prediction 
for West Charlotte this season. We'll let you take us home. Hey, he want to play. You saw he snuck that in there a little bit. Hey, Chris, yeah, yeah. Hurt. What's going to happen with West Charlotte? Um, we're going to be great. Just watch. <laughs> I didn't want you to before the show. Seven and four. Hey, come on. Hey, Kevin, Sam, be all you can be. That's what Seven and four. Well, you guys are still on. You guys still on. Seven and four. That's what Jordan say. The roof is the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> we can be as good as they keep training and working hard. I promise you. Special things are happening. The best thing I'm happy, the most excited thing I'm happy about is the staff that I'm putting together. I have a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that went to West Charlotte, a lot of guys that have been with me in the past, and they're hungry. And it's all about the individual coaches, like my DB coach, my running back coach. You know, these guys love kids. They love being around them. They want to train. They want to get them better. And that gravitates to these kids, and they want to work hard. If you got a, a you know, Gary would say these all these coaches are older. If you got a guy that's, you know, 55 years old, he might be able to relate to kids very well, but it's – Easier for a 28-year-old to relate that just got done playing pro football and he interacts with kids well. So I have a staff that's in place that's going to be amazing. I won't even have to do anything. I'll just tip you. Know, you guys it. always ask me. I get emails all the time. Why is Coach Griner on the show? Coach Griner won't shut up. You see, you just let him go. You have some pressure. Let him go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks. See you.